Catholics in the Diocese of St. Petersburg returned to Sunday Mass with a blanket of civil unrest over the nation. How has the church reacted and what are we doing as Catholics to make a change? Will social media take a more active approach at flagging posts that they deem controversial and how does that impact statements from the church? These hot topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop. John, it's always good to be with you. We opened up churches on May 31st, the weekend of May 30th, May 31st, for the celebration of Pentecost. It's always a great celebration. It's the birthday of our church and uh, marks the end of the Easter season and the beginning once again of ordinary time. Particularly joyful this year because it was the first weekend that we gathered again publicly for Sunday Mass. And all the reports that I've heard from our parishes that held Masses this weekend were very good. There were no unanticipated issues or concerns, no overcrowding. We were able to observe social distancing and uh, everything seemed to go really well. So I'm grateful to our pastors, our priests, and our parish staffs and, and ministers, our volunteers, for helping us to get back to Mass. One of the great things that's come about, and I think we mentioned it in a previous show, but it's still going to go on, is the live streaming of many of our services. And our priests are getting really a crash course in sound <laughs> systems and video. Yeah, we've all gotten a, a lesson in, in Facebook Live and live streaming and uh, Zoom and all these other things. And that's probably a good thing that's come out of this. But we will continue the live stream, and we've asked our parishes to do that if they can, because there are still individuals who do not feel comfortable coming back for public mass yet because of their age or underlying health conditions or uh, maybe just some fear or worry at this point because the the, the coronavirus, COVID-19, is still a reality. And uh, we do need to continue the safeguards that we have been practicing up to this point. So for those that choose to stay at home, they're dispensed uh, still from the Sunday obligation, and we will still uh, try to provide the Mass to them by means of live stream. It's the natural inclination, especially it seems like this day and age, to want to move forward faster and faster. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we said, all right, things are going to open up 50%. Now I'm hearing 75% coming up soon. Is that applicable to our churches too? It is. I think almost as soon as we had to suspend masses in our in our parishes, there was a desire to reopen. So there's been a kind of a push to do that. But I hope our listeners would understand that it wasn't prudent to do so just out of safety concerns and and also just trying to be charitable with each other and, and protect one another and respect our human life. But yeah, no, there were, it, it became evident that it was time to, uh, to come back and to begin that process of gathering again, once again, as, as parish families for Mass. But we did so, you know, in, a, in kind of a gradual and, and measured way. We started out with the weekday Masses, and that went well. Uh, and then again, we started the Sunday Mass, and so far, seems to be going well. In our last visit, we had talked about some parishes not opening quite this past weekend. Do you expect everybody to be back online by, let's say, mid-June? 
I would hope so. Um, some parishes were not able to open either because they didn't have the proper cleaning supplies that they needed. So a very practical thing. I'm still trying to get them at the radio station. <laughs> exactly. And uh, also because they have to train ministers or even recruit some new ministers because sometimes our parishes have those who are in the vulnerable population serving as ministers at Mass, whether they be ushers or greeters or Eucharistic ministers. There's been some having to readjust our, our ministries also to get ready for Mass. Well, as we, we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us on this past Pentecost uh, weekend, there was a blanket of rioting, looting, racism that has sort of been under siege and, and, and just it's, it's festering. And it came to a, a head about a week or so ago. And it started growing with the death of the gentleman uh, Ahmad Aubrey in Georgia. And then when the video came out, with the um, the death of uh, George Floyd in Minnesota, it exacerbated things, and you know it got me to thinking, what are we as a church supposed to do and process all of this anger, both outside the church and and people that are angry in the church as well? John, these are very good questions that you have, and you know the rightly so. There were peaceful protests right at the beginning of, of the way of the death, the, the manner in which George Floyd died, and that was good. I thought it was very healthy to do that. And of course, here in the United States, one of the blessings of being an American, of being a citizen here, is that we we do have that ability and that right to to protest, but to do so peacefully. Unfortunately, what seemed to happen is that things kind of morphed or changed, and uh, it wasn't so much about the issue of, of, of George Floyd, but there's a whole complex of other issues that seemed to kind of surface and bubble over and, and then explode, which resulted in these riots, not peaceful protests, but riots which turned destructive, violence, people were injured, properties destroyed property being stolen, police officers being assaulted themselves, and just total kind of chaos. So as a church, we obviously want to recognize the right to protest peacefully and encourage people to do that in a respectful manner. But also we want to discourage those who are engaging in behavior which is not appropriate to the situation and which does not respect the dignity and rights of other people, of our fellow citizens. So we, of course, as a church, what we do is pray. I mean, that's what we do best. And so we, we pray for peace here in our local community, here in our diocese, throughout the state, and throughout our country. And we can encourage our people to do the same, because ultimately it's a change of heart, it's a change of mind, it's a change of attitude, which is going to bring about the desired changes that we need to bring about and address and discuss here in our country, particularly around the issue of racism. And those are all good words. And racism is such a sin and you and I have lived, and we were on the back end of the of civil rights movement. But I would say that the civil rights movement is almost still going on. There's a lot of rhetoric, but how do we get this sin of racism to change, and why can't we stop it? Well, I think, first, John, we have to acknowledge that racism is still an issue, obviously, in our country today. We can't deny that, as much as we would like to think that it's not, because it is sinful and it's wrong. It does exist, so I think that's kind of the starting point. It also can be a very difficult uh, subject to talk about for many people. Uh, they feel uncomfortable discussing it. They're afraid 
that they might say something that might offend somebody else. And so instead of trying to help the situation, they make it worse. So I think we have to acknowledge that as well, that it's not an easy subject to talk about. But boy, is it important that we do so because it it just keeps festering. It doesn't go away, kind of gets brushed under the carpet until the next incident. And then again, things explode once again, and we find ourselves in the situation that we do today. I think first acknowledging that it's a reality still in our country and in our world, acknowledging that it's not an easy subject to talk about, but then also acknowledging that it is something we do need to address. I had one cohort who I told them that we were going to be talking a little bit about the racial topic, and they asked, there was a statement, it's not enough to be a racist, but we must be anti-racist. What does that mean to you, and what do you think that looks like in the Catholic Church? Well, I I think the sentiment that's uh, being expressed there is that it's not enough for us to, to not have those feelings against others because of their race or other reasons, but we need to take action. Right? We need to step forward to combat that sin in our world today. So again, it's not being passive and saying, well, I don't harbor any racial thoughts or feelings in my heart. Well, that's good and that's appropriate, but we can do more. And I think that that's what's being expressed there. We addressed it as a diocese and the National Church addressed it a couple of years ago when they issued a new document and we had a town hall meeting at Higgins Hall back in, I think it was September, October of 2018. And there were listening sessions around the diocese, as I recall. It educated some that were interested in the topic, but the room certainly, they had a couple hundred people come that night, but the listening sessions outside weren't packed compared to if you had them right now. I think you'd have a lot more people. So again, we we did hold the town hall on the issue of racism, and I was present there, as was Bishop Fobb, who is a a national Catholic leader on this issue. And it was very good, actually, I think, and healthy to invite people to come and to give them the opportunity to stand up and to share their own experiences from their lives. I'm sure it wasn't easy for them to do so. Maybe it brought back pain and suffering that they've endured in their life. And for some of them, even feeling racist attitudes and actions, even within the church, which was, um, is again, is kind of surprising for yeah. us because that's not what our churches and parishes are supposed to be. Some of it is historical. Some of it, even though, still goes on today in, in very subtle ways. But I thought it was a good gathering. Again, not an easy subject. Perhaps the greatest benefits were that it gave individuals an opportunity to express themselves, to share their stories, and in doing so to educate those who were able to be present or who read about the the news accounts of it. So it was a start. It wasn't meant to be an end-all and (laughs) be-all, but it was at least our church here in our community uh, taking up the issue and trying to address it in in a positive way and helpful way it just for me i think it you want to get those people there because the people that are there care it's the people that we see in the tv that cause the lawlessness yes they're angry and i can't imagine to walk in their shoes but i don't see them at the at these type of conferences at these type of listening sessions no but you're, you're probably right about that but i think when individuals who harbor you know racist feelings or attitudes in their heart when they see the video for example of the manner in which george floyd died i you know i don't care what he did 
nobody deserves to right. be treated like that. And there were certainly other means by which they could have taken him into custody, arrested him without taking his life. John, I just have to think that for somebody that does struggle with racist attitudes or feelings in their heart, that that has to move them in some way because no human being deserves to be no. treated like that. And the, the sad fact is, and I've heard this comment often, that the blessing of video cameras now shows what's been going on for decades and, and I dare say centuries. And it's a, it's a sad reality. It is, but um, on the other hand, I guess you could say those things, as, as hard as they are for us to watch and to see over and over again, could be moments, a teachable moment, and maybe a moment of conversion. Uh, again, for those who struggle with these issues in their lives for whatever reason, seeing that kind of shocking video could really be a moment of conversion, hopefully, in, in their hearts. Well, Bishop, one thing that we are doing as a diocese and uh, the Office of uh, Live Justice and Advocacy is uh, spearheading is the diocese is hosting a prayer vigil this Sunday at the Cathedral of St. Jude the Apostle in St. Petersburg. The event starts uh, at 3 o'clock, wraps up uh, later on. It's an hour-long vigil, and then there's going to be a demonstration at the intersection of Fifth Avenue and Tyrone Boulevard in St. Petersburg. That's right there at the cathedral. Bishop Parks, you'll be there to lead the gathering in solidarity with all the people of goodwill. We don't want this event to be anything uh, out of hand or violent or anything like that. The cathedral for the location, should you want to come out, is uh, 5815 Fifth Avenue North in St. Petersburg. The diocese is asking that everyone that comes, they should wear a mask and probably want to be a good idea to bring a water bottle. Signs, you can make signs. They're also encouraged. And there'll be benediction on the cathedral steps uh, where those in attendance will be asked to kneel if if it's possible for eight minutes in remembrance of George Floyd. The event, if you can't come, it's going to be live streamed. Just go to dosp.org slash live stream or facebook.com slash Dio St. Pete. And then remember, if you can't come, you can always follow along by watching it on video. So the diocese is doing something in a positive direction for the community. And I think it's a great thing, Bishop. But uh, this whole COVID thing really puts a damper on what we are able to do even for a big crowd. You're correct. Because of the dynamic of the reality of the coronavirus still being present, trying to limit gatherings to observe social distancing. But uh, there are ways, I think, that we we can uh, continue to address the issue, whether it be virtually, that's always an option, through statements, through preaching, through means, uh, social media means. So there are things we can continue to do, and and I'll be discussing those later today, uh, again, with our staff to see what we can do as a local church here in our local community. I've heard uh, through other media outlets and through TV documentaries and news reports of black families having the talk with their sons and daughters about when they get pulled over by the police. But you know what I don't hear are families, white families, talking about racism and, and the evilness of it at the dinner table with their children. And maybe that's where the dialogue needs to start. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, we always say that uh, parents are the first teachers of their children, not only in the ways of faith, but also in the ways of the world, <laughs> as we say. That is a conversation that you would hope would take place at the dinner table or in another appropriate setting. 
Uh, again, though, John, I think maybe it's because it's a hard subject and maybe parents just don't know what to say. But there are resources out there, including some that are provided on the uh, USCCB, the, the Bishop's Conference website, provides resources on that and helpful tools. And also anyone could feel free to contact us here at the diocese, and we would have, be able to provide some resources as well, certainly some spiritual resources, but also maybe some practical talking points. You know, one of the the big things as we talk about communication when it comes to racism is communication in general. And without getting too political here, recently the President of the United States made some tweets, and he's often very fiery in in some of uh, the things that he puts out there. And Twitter flagged him for a couple of things, which got me to thinking, usually there's not a whole lot of editorial control when it comes to Facebook and Twitter. Usually the participants police themselves on the comments. It used to be when you and I were growing up, we had the newspaper and you had Walter Cronkite and there was a editorial, there was an editorial board. I don't know that that's the case today. And so what's to, to stop Twitter or Facebook or some other media outlet, I'll call it, to flag something where, you know, the, the USCCB put something out on pro-life things or something out there that all of a sudden they don't like that agenda, so they're going to flag it. Yeah, so again, this idea or thought about free speech and, and how to monitor that is a, it's kind of a complicated issue, isn't it? We acknowledge the right to free speech, to, to speak our mind, and that is a, a blessing here in, the, in our country, in the United States, but um, I, I think it can at times go to an extreme. But then again, who decides what's appropriate and what's not? As you said, on social media, which again has very good things about it, but can also have very harmful things and hurtful things and damaging things. So I know on my own social media sites, and I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram, as well as Twitter, I tend to manage and, and to monitor what's being said there. Of course, I post my own things on there. But then I have no control over what somebody else might post until I review it and look at it. And I have to say, John, on occasion, I have had to delete some comments just because I felt as bishop of the diocese, and since it's my site, that things were not said appropriately or, or something was off topic uh, or somebody was abusing right. that right to free speech. We as a church, of course, say a lot of things <laughs> and, and have a lot of messaging. And you're right, that is a, that is a, a danger that we face is that we could be censored. And, and what would that mean? For us as a church in terms of being able to to talk about our faith publicly and to, to spread our faith so it's again it's not an easy issue it's a complex issue i think it's something that we continue to work through here in our country i've had people ask me why don't you ask the bishop this or i can't believe you asked the bishop that and part of my response is on both ends is we need to be transparent in what we do and that's what we're called to do is is you know spread the truth I can share with, with our listeners that podcast that we do of you from the top, you know, I'd be hard pressed to think of a time where you presented a, a subject or a topic or a question. And I said, no, John, we can't talk about no, that. Everything, so everything I've it's, presented. Uh, we're, we're trying to be very open, honest, and transparent uh, in our conversations. But but yeah, the, it is, a, again, it's, a, it's an ongoing issue and it is something that we need to continue to, to work through. A week or so ago, in one of your invitations to worship reflections, you talked about, and actually in a couple of them, the trepidation of going to a, into a situation where you really weren't comfortable. 
it was in relation to the disciples of Jesus being called to serve. They didn't feel equipped or adequate. Oftentimes, we talk, we hear about that through our communication. We've touched on it in this program about racial uh, communications and and how to uh, put ourselves out there. How do we overcome this fear? Because I know Satan wants us to be fearful. Right. That, that's the uh, the weapon of the devil, right, is to, to instill fear in us. Of course, there's a good fear. Fear of the Lord is, is uh, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right. But yeah, a fear which paralyzes us from being the person that God created us to be or speaking the words that we need to speak or acting in a, in a way that we should act. That's not good fear. And that's exactly what Satan or the devil wants from us, you know, is, is to do nothing. Jesus calls us to spread the good news, to sow seeds of love and peace and justice in our community and in our world. Well, Satan doesn't want that. He wants us to be paralyzed. So it's um, really relying upon our faith, upon the commission that we've received, but also the grace that has been given to us as Catholics through the sacraments, through baptism, through confirmation, through the Eucharist, which we receive, that we are strengthened to overcome our fears and to have the courage to courageously live the gospel, our vision here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, and to overcome those fears. Something we need to pray about. If you feel like you are paralyzed or don't have the ability to do something that you know you should do, take that to the Lord. You know, bring it before Him and ask Him for the the strength which you lack uh, in your own life. Sometimes you can misinterpret of no action versus a pause to to pray about it a little bit, because you you deal with some personalities that want that answer right away. And there's others that say, I need a little bit of time. Give me 24 hours. Give me a week. Let me think about this. And oftentimes the situation, God works itself out without you having to do something. But maybe that was the action. Yeah, you know, there's um, certainly nothing wrong with prayer and discernment. (laughs) You know, I have to share that sometimes people will ask me, Bishop, can we do this? Can you give me permission to to start this ministry or do something? (laughs) And uh, I'll say, well, I I said, let me think about it. I want to pray about that. I want to discern. Now, I'm not putting anybody off. It's just taking the, the, the appropriate amount of time to see whether this is God's will and this is something good for us at this time. Maybe it might be in the future, but not now. And that only comes through, I think, thoughtful and prayerful discernment rather than making a rash judgment. Because I know I've experienced times when I have given permission for something or made a decision on the spot and then regretted it later or realized that it was not the right decision to make. Just as Mary, you know, pondered all these things in her heart, as the scripture says, that's something that we also as as believers, as the faithful should do as well, is to carry these things with us and to invite the Lord into our discernment. Last program, we talked a little bit about your vocation and how you were notified by the nuncio calling you. Someone asked me, so I'm going to ask you this, when you got the call to be the bishop from the nuncio, did, did your bishop know that he was going to be calling you and does that get approval from the archbishop of florida and so forth i mean who all knows 
before <laughs> So, uh, actually, it's appropriate because this week, June 5th, I'll be celebrating my eighth anniversary of oh, ordination right. as a bishop. And so I've been thinking about that day when I received the call from the nuncio. Now, the nuncio usually would call the um, the priest or a monsignor who's being elevated or appointed to, to being a bishop to inform him of the Holy Father's decision. Of course, you have to consent to it. So before anybody else is told, the nuncio has to receive that consent that you accept that appointment before he would share that with your own bishop or with anyone else. Okay, so usually so it's, it's just between the two of you until it's a go. Wow. And then uh, and then usually your bishop would get a call and be informed that, uh, that one of his priests has been appointed a and, bishop. And then the preparations, the wheels start turning. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, a, a joy for any sure. bishop to have one of their priests appointed and ordained a brother bishop. And before we conclude, I want to remind those listening to the podcast or listening uh, on the air that we are going to have a peaceful prayer vigil at the cathedral this Sunday, June 7th, from 3 to 4, 5815 Fifth Avenue North. Just uh, go online, just Google for directions, Cathedral of St. Jude, St. Petersburg. Uh, That'll take you right there. Please invite the members in your community, maybe your parishioners, maybe you have a a prayer list. Find out more and watch it. If you can't attend, you can watch it on the live stream. Just go to dosp.org slash live stream. Bishop, as we close this program today, would you lead us in a prayer to end all violence, racism, bigotry in our community and in our world? Certainly, John. So let us pray. God, our Father, we praise you and thank you for the gift of life. And during this time of unrest here in our country, this time of violence and looting and rioting, uh, we ask for your help. We ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us. We ask that you might help to change hearts and change minds, that we may love each other as we are called to do and treat each other with respect and with dignity. We ask that you continue to bless us and to bless our country, that we may be the people, the country that you have created and called us to be. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.